Peter blew it big time, just like all of us. But Pastor Ed reminds us we serve a loving and forgiving God. He was the one who went up on the hill with Jesus and John and James and saw Jesus transfigured on all his glory. He was the one who said he would die for Jesus. Was he submitted? Was he surrendered? Completely. So, when you're ready to beat yourself up for yet another mistake, know that you will fail in this life. But you will never be a failure if you keep coming back and asking God for forgiveness. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your as we return to John chapter 18 today on Grow in Grace, we take a look at Jesus' first trial before Jewish authorities. Just shortly after that, a close disciple of the Lord would deny him. And we'll examine Peter's downward spiral in order to help us maintain a strong relationship in the Lord. And as 1 Corinthians puts it, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We're all quite capable of stumbling, just as Peter did. So we'd do well to look carefully at what led to this particular sin. Again, that's John chapter 18, beginning at verse 13. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. We are working our way through the Bible, verse by verse. We're in John, we're in chapter 18. We left Jesus as he was leaving the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's being taken to the high priest where he will begin the first of six trials that he will go for, go through. So we come to verse 13. And they led Jesus away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die. For the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her, the girl who kept the door, and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. Dun, 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 dun. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by 
struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, and all of heaven held their breath, waiting for a command. Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, if I have lied, bear witness, tell me what I said that was a lie. But if well, why do you strike? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Simon Peter stood and warned himself. Therefore they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And Peter denied it, saying, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, uh-oh, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied again, and immediately a cock crowed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have recorded for us these set of events that we might better understand our own failures, our own struggles as we try to serve you. So speak to us now. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us that we might grow in you. We ask that in Jesus' name. And all of God's children agreed by saying, amen. Well, uh, grandmother wrote me in the church and said that my six-year-old grandson called his mother from his friend Charlie's house and confessed that he had broken a lamp when he threw a football in the living room. But mom, he said, brightening up, You don't have to worry about buying another one. Charlie's mother said it was irreplaceable. Mistakes, bad judgments, blunders, errors, failures, sins, we all have made them. And we all will do more as long as we're breathing here on planet Earth. Peter made his big error while the Bible was being written. And probably the best known sin in the entire history of mankind. So we're looking at Peter, I remind you, he's the disciple of Jesus. Peter was the one when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? Peter said, well, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And he was absolutely right. Peter was a surrendered man to Jesus. He had trusted God with everything, and he was following him. Now, somebody wrote and asked me this week to break down the word surrender. Surrender, put up your hands in English, is to let Jesus be Lord of your life, ruler. So it comes from a French word that is surrender, which literally means to give up to give over to the other person. The Latin means surrender, to give back, to return, to restore something that isn't yours. And Greek, which is the translation of the New Testament, is to let yourself out as a servant for hire, to farm out to a superior your life. Now, the word surrender doesn't appear in the original King James 611 translation of the Bible, but it appears 18 times in the New American Standard and six times in the NIV because it's the idea is there all over the New Testament. 
Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, if I give all the possessions I have to the poor and surrender my body to the flames and have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul understood the word clearly. But I don't think that's what the person, if you're here this morning, who wrote the note was thinking. I think what you were asking is, when do I know when I've really surrendered? Or how much surrender is enough? Well, let me try and explain it this way. The surrendered life is the act of giving back to Jesus the life that he has granted to you. It's relinquishing, letting go of control of rights, power, direction, to submit to his lordship. Now, John Piper is a Baptist pastor, and I don't normally quote him, but he said it well, I think. He said, none of us will ever get to the point in our Christian maturity where it is not possible to doubt the authenticity of our surrender. Or in other words, it is possible no matter what you say or what you do to think that you might be a fake, that you might not be totally surrendered no matter what you have done. Let me say that a slightly different way. God loves you unconditionally, just as you are. What about surrender? No one can stay 100% surrendered because nobody is 100% sinless this side of heaven. Romans chapter seven, Paul said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not do. 1 Timothy 1.15. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Hmm. When we surrender to God, does that make us sinless? (laughs) I wish it was. I'm not saying you surrender and then just go do what you want to do, sin all you want. No, but it's a struggle. And it will be a struggle as long as we're here, as they say, breathing air. It's said several times in this section that Peter is a disciple, a learner, a student of Jesus. The Bible doesn't use the word Christian very often. In fact, we use it all the time in modern English, but it only appears three times in the entire Bible, New Testament. So it usually says that followers of Jesus are disciples, and he is our discipler. He's the one who teaches us. And there were many other rabbis who had disciples. The Pharisee has disciples. We know John the Baptist had disciples. But Peter was a top disciple. He was the one who went up on the hill with Jesus and John and James and saw Jesus transfigured on all his glory. He was the one who said, He would die for Jesus. Was he submitted? Was he surrendered? Completely. So, when you're ready to beat yourself up for yet another mistake, know that you will fail in this life. 
But you will never be a failure if you keep coming back and asking God for forgiveness. It's impossible to be a failure. That's what I want you to be looking for. How completely surrendered Peter was, but how he just shot himself in the foot three times in a row. There's actually three of them. First section for his first denial, 13 through 17. And then a second one, 18, 25. And then the last two verses, his third denial. He's going to bury himself pretty good. It's kind of painful to watch, but let's do it. That's Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. And he's leading us through John 18 right now. Let's get back to it, picking up in verse 13. Verse 13, and they led him away, Jesus, to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. So only John mentions this trial of the four gospels. This is, he's the only one to talk about it. And there will be five more trials. Three of them are Jewish and three of them are Roman. So Annas has been high priest from like 6 to 15 AD. And he's recently retired when this event happened, retired by the Romans. And so it's his son, one of his five sons, who would become high priest. It's his son who is Caiaphas, the high priest at the moment. I'm taking the time to explain that because we're going to look real close at Caiaphas in just a minute. There's a Talmud, a Babylonian Talmud. It's a group of of rabbis writing to explain Jewish law, the Talmud Peskachim, which says this, woe to the house of Annas, woe to their serpents, hiss, they're like snakes. They are the high priest. Their sons are the keepers of the treasury. Their son-in-laws are guardians of the temple and their servants beat the people with staves. So, Annas and his household were, were notorious, well-known. They ran the concession stands inside the temple. Remember when Jesus came and got angry and turned over the temples of the money changers and those who were selling sacrifices? This family owned the concession stand. Verse 14, now it was Caiaphas who gave counsel to the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. We covered this back in John chapter 11, verse 49. Caiaphas stood up when there was a big debate about what do we do about Jesus, and he said, it is necessary for one man to die for the nation, to die for all the people. Now, he didn't say that, he didn't prophesy that because he was such a holy guy. No, his life was a disaster. But because he was high priest that year, the Holy Spirit spoke through him, which is a good lesson to remember. Just because a person claims to be following God and have the gift of prophecy, and even if they prophesy something, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing good with God. Now, I said all that because Caiaphas is somebody we know a lot more about just in the last 20 years. How so? Well, Caiaphas's bone box, his ossuary, was 
accidentally uncovered in Jerusalem in 1990. They were digging a trench through a, a park called the Peace Park, and the backhoe hit something that collapsed. It was the, the roof of a cave. Well, the cave turned out to be filled with ossuaries. Now, that's a bone box. The Jews would place their loved ones who died in a sarcophagus, a full, long, six-foot-plus, made out of limestone, because limestone, how shall I say, digests all the skin. And then they transfer the bones out and put them in a bone box. The longest bone in most people is their thigh bone. And so it's just big enough for the thigh bone to fit in and the rest of all your bones so they can reuse. I won't go into it. You get the picture. <laughs> Please, Pastor, don't give us too much information. We're planning on having lunch before long. <laughs> so this bone box has written on it, Joseph Ben Caiaphas literally from right to left. That's what that says in Hebrew. And so the original guys that dug it up said, well, that's not the right name for Caiaphas. His name was Caiaphas, not so quick. Joseph, the inscription that Josephus wrote about, he's a first century historian. He said that Caiaphas' real name was Joseph, but he liked the name Caiaphas, because there were too many Josephs in Jerusalem. He wanted to be famous. And so this is Caiaphas that we're reading about. And we have forensic studies just in the last year that said his height's about 5'5", which is normal for a first century man, and that he was about 60 years old when he died. Now, that was enough. That's unusual. But is Another ossuary was found very close by, and it is identified recently. It says on it, Miriam, daughter of Yeshua, son of Caiaphas, priest of Ben-Emir. So this is the granddaughter, the adult granddaughter's bone box of Caiaphas. And recently, DNA tests have in fact, confirmed that. And in the box were babies, two of them, and a teenage boy, and they're all genetically great-grandchildren of Caiaphas. So why is that such a big deal? Because up until 1990, theologians were saying you can't trust the Bible. It talks about a high priest Caiaphas that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> written in stone. How about that? Okay, so that makes me want to give you my favorite nine archaeological finds. These are Bible-affirming archaeological pieces that have been dug up in Israel in the last few hundred years that I'm telling you because I'm meaning to encourage your faith. I'm trying to build you up in your trust of what the Bible says is true. If it says it, I believe it. That settles it, okay? Been to Israel 19 times. I have gone all over the country with mostly group. I see a lot of people here who have been to Israel with this. And so I'm going to cover some of the things. These are the favorite things I look for when I get there. Okay. So number one on my list is from Second Chronicles 32:30. You can look it up. King Hezekiah 
built a tunnel to bring water into Jerusalem. And again, nobody believed it. But then a American archaeologist named Edward Robinson in 1883 went to Jerusalem and dug down, found a tunnel, and it was actually dug from two ends through solid rock. And when they met, he put up a sign. <laughs> King Hezekiah built this, this and finished this tunnel in 701 B.C. So, a little bit of American history. The father of American archaeology is our third president, Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson started the University of Virginia, an archaeology department there, and this man, Robinson, uh, knew Jefferson. And so archaeology is very much a part of our nation. From the very beginning, Jefferson dug through some Native American mounds and, and kept the strata different. He separated them so he could find out how old something was, a technique that's still used today. Okay, so Hezekiah's tunnel, number one. Number two, Abraham's gate. What? This is a picture of a mud and straw gate in the city of Laish, which is really from Genesis 14, 14. This is when Abraham nephew Lot was captured and taken north out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham took his men and ran them down and captured his, his nephew and his family back and brought them back through the city of Laish. They walked through that gate. How long ago was Abraham alive? 4,000 years ago. So when you go to Israel, you can walk up and stand in that gate and say, Abraham stood here. Does that build your faith? You feel it? Can the Bible be trusted? Oh, every book. Number three, Dead Sea Scrolls, 1947, 1946. In the winter, a little Bedouin boy throws a rock into a cave. He hears pottery break. He went, uh-oh, I broke something. Told his dad, and his dad went down and looked, and he found some scrolls some parchments and some vellums, animal skeins, as well as parchment from Egypt. And they brought them out, and they saw some more. And they went in other caves, and they found more and more and more until the entire Bible from the Essenes, a group of like a monastery on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and it's radiocarbon dated to 200 B.C., before Christ. And people said, well, you know, the Bible was written in the Dark Ages, in the Middle Ages. Uh-uh. <laughs> We're so wrong. 200 years before Jesus, so it's only the Old Testament. But it's every book in the Old Testament. That is Isaiah. Well, is that accurate, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Every single word in 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah is the same that you have on your lap. Does the Holy Spirit preserve the books of the Bible completely? You can be sure the Bible you have on your lap is the Word of God and completely trustworthy. Thanks for joining us for Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're going through the Gospel of John together from start to finish. For a CD copy of today's message, just call 844-77-GRACE. 
That's 844-77-GRACE. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there too, which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to thepackinghouse.org and look for our radio page. You know, it takes a team to bring Grow and Grace to you, and we look to our listeners to help make all of this possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about. It's True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. After serving the Lord as a pastor for many years, Francis began to wonder if Christianity really made a difference in people's lives. True spirituality, you could say, is the result of his effort to re-examine his faith. And if you want to discover what true spirituality looks like in everyday life, this is the book for you. We'll send you a copy when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And we want to hear from you. Even if you're not in a position to be able to give, whether it's a word of encouragement, a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request, email us today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. This program is presented by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 